Hello and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. I'm Nigeria's Best and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. We have one guest today. His name is Dr. Tarila Ebiede. He's an adjunct assistant professor of international affairs at the Brussels School. And he's also the co-editor of the insecurity in the Nigeria Delta Journal. The three stories we'll be discussing this week are, firstly, gunmen opened fire on the convoy of Governor Samuel Otto of Benue State. Secondly, we'll be discussing the claims by Justice Onogen, the former Chief Justice of Nigeria, that he was removed over a purported meeting with Atiku Abubakar in Dubai. And then thirdly, we'll be discussing Governor Fayemi of Ekiti's claim that the APC has failed to deliver its promises to Nigerians. So to Phoenix, for our first topic, Governor Autumn's convoy was attacked. What is going on? Why are governors now being facing the threat of assassination? Because firstly, we had Governor Zulum of Bornu State a few months ago. Now it's Governor Autumn. Well, what is going on, Phoenix? Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for joining us again this week. Hi, Michael, and uh, thanks, Tarila, for joining us. Um, I, I, think, I think it's just, it's pure intimidation. Um, I, I mean, everyone knows the stance that Autumn has taken, um, you know, calling headsmen to order and, 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 you know, telling them you can't bear arms and if you bear arms in his state, there'll be, there'll be consequences, uh, which led to him having that face off with, uh, was it the Bauchi state governor, if I remember correctly? Um, so, I mean, him being attacked by, by headsmen, it's almost like they've, I mean, they, I mean there's now a, it's a, de a declaration of war between Autumn and the headsmen. And to imagine that that is happening in, in Nigeria, and I mean, the federal government um, that has failed terribly in, in providing for security of, of, of lives and, and property um, has allowed things to get to this point. Because I mean, you, you're like, if a governor is not safe, and rightfully you called out uh, the attacks on Zulum as well, if a governor is not safe, then I mean, how are the ordinary citizens safe? I mean, it's it's amazing. I mean, I'm thankful that he he got away without losing his life. But I mean, perhaps maybe that, that's the kind of incidents that would that would really jolt this nation. And I mean, all of us that are just you know, because it's so far away from the the key centers of of governance and particularly economics, you know, Lagos. Abuja to some degree, Port Harcourt, you know, all those centers where when something goes wrong, I mean, the whole nation shakes. It's like, because it's so far away, people people just, you know, accept it and move on. But th this is this is blatantly wrong. And, and that, I mean, that these people have become so brazen that they go after a sitting governor. It's just, it's just ridiculous. It's just crazy, and and we we have a military, we have a commander in chief. I mean, um, 
you would expect that this will be priority. You would expect that they would have swung into action. Yes, I hear the DSS is, is, is investigating and is, and is combing the forest and blah, blah, blah. But this is just, I mean, it shouldn't get to this. Um, and uh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that Autumn, I mean, I mean, has not cowered under the pressure and has continued to speak out and, 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 to, and to dare them and, you know, get his message out. I hope he's, I mean, it's also good that the Governor's Forum also spoke out and, 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 uh, and backed him on this. I hope they get the message where it needs to go because the box stops at Buhari's table and he needs to do something and declare a state of emergency against this and declare the headsman, I mean, um, how would I call it? Public enemy number one um, and go after them. But, you know, it's, it's his, 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 um, it's his reticence that has emboldened them and, and gotten us to where we are today. So. I mean, I just wait to see what comes out of it. But I mean, it's just it's just shocking. The, I mean, that this happens in this country. My follow-up question on that, uh, Phoenix, is about the practical aspects. He said he had to run two kilometers to escape the attack, and he was attacked by fifteen people. Now, I know from what I've seen that governors tend to move with security, security convoy of at least 30 to 40 soldiers plus mobile police plus SSS. So are you telling me that they were not able to subdue 15 attackers, that a governor had to run for over two kilometers? How, how is that possible? In his, in his account, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're onto something there. In his account, I think he said he had only about six to seven, if I remember correctly. He certainly didn't have the full complement that you would expect, like a battalion following him. He was on foot. Apparently, he was, he, I mean, they were, maybe it was his farmland or something of that sort. Of, I mean, I'm trying to recollect the story, but clearly he didn't have his full security complement, but they were still able to fight off the herdsmen and and allow him to ex escape, um, but from what I from what I read, I mean he didn't. It wasn't. I mean it wasn't a, a a major outing where. And maybe maybe he also needs to take the blame for that. At least he understands the terrain. He understands the issues that are prevalent in his part of the country. So maybe he should have had his full security complement. Maybe that would have deterred them. But I think there is some true to his account because the only reason why they will have dared attack is because he was exposed. If he had 30, 40 people with him, of course they would not have dared attack. They're not, these are not um, jihadists that are going on a suicide mission or anything. They don't want to die. So they, they obviously saw him as an easy target in that space of time uh, and wanted to take advantage of that. So um, that's what that's what that's how I saw it. To Tarila, my first question then doesn't that raise questions about the competence of the security forces? Because the job of your DSS bodyguard assess the situation. First of all, they know he's a governor of Benue State, which is a key flashpoint in the Herder farmer crisis. They know he's been threatened on numerous occasions. 
by rogue herders. So doesn't that raise questions about the competence of his security uh, team if they would allow someone like him go to the farm with minimal security? Thank you very much, Michael, the invitation and also to Phoenix. And uh, indeed, the uh, issues uh, raised by Governor Otto are quite serious and concerning. Um, but to address the question, to answer your question, I want to frame it in the context of the wider problem of insecurity in, in Nigeria. And at the heart of this problem currently is the issue of herdsmen. And while herd herding, the cattle herding is not a crime in itself and doesn't, shouldn't uh, pose a security problem. The context in Nigeria has led to violence and now persistent insecurity. Uh, there, is a, there is so much to unpack here, but uh, the issues in areas such as Benue State and other states of the country is that these group of people uh, whose identity is tied to cattle herding and are mainly Fulani people, they seem to be onto, um, they see it seems to, to many observers that uh, they are on a mission to acquire new land and communities for the purpose of their livelihood and also to establish uh, their identity uh, to in, in context of this new land that they will acquire. And this kind of mission or agenda clearly undermines the security and lives of people who live or who are originally in those lands and communities. And if you are a governor in Benway State and your people are coming under such a threat or have experienced that, and what you will do is to respond, especially when you yourself is a minority uh, or, or you yourself also belong to such uh, these communities. So indeed, Governor Autumn has been uh, in the news for, for his response to, to this Fulani Edman question and the insecurity it generates. Uh, as with the entire problem of insecurity in Nigeria, the response of the security institutions, the, that the institutions responsible for the provision of security has not been has not been encouraging uh, or it leaves much it leaves more, there is more people deserve more or need want more from them it, it begs uh, people are asking for more more work from these institutions that they should show working um, for I am not surprised that a sitting governor uh, can come under such an attack I mean, this is not the first time a sitting governor has been attacked in Nigeria. 
a former governor of uh, Anambra State was kidnapped while as a serving governor. Uh, if the if the institutions around you are unable to address issues that are not directly linked to you, how can those institutions address security issues that threaten you? In Nigeria, people always try to think or want to frame security as external, like that the elites are secured while a significant part of the society is not secured. However, if there is a real an elite, no matter the position you occupy, it, it's, it's, it will be very difficult to manage. Therefore, the, 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 the competence of the security institutions should not be limited to the elites, but to the general society, it should extend. So if they are not able to secure people in the communities, if they are not able to, if the governor cannot mobilize the security institutions in the states to secure communities, how then can he mobilize those institutions to secure himself? These are some of the issues. Uh, and I'm not surprised in any way. I, I, I wouldn't say the DSS is incompetent. I would say that, or that uh, the police are incompetent. I will just, I will say that it reflects the general problem that these institutions have not been able to address. The governor, as you see, as he has seen for himself, is now, is also not, not inoculated. It's not completely safe when a significant part of his society is unsafe. Thank you. Thank you for the, you, you've raised an interesting point, which is that if the state cannot be secured, the governor should not be surprised that he himself cannot be secured because it's still the same security forces that are doing the job. But my follow-up question to that, and it's something I've, I've raised a few times on, on Twitter to the irritation of some commentators, but I remember that Governor Autumn used to be an APC governor. He was one of the people that campaigned to bring Buhari into office in 2015. One of the reasons why I'm raising this is because at the time, there were already WikiLeaks cables published that showed that Tinubu, of the, Tinubu had described Buhari as an agent of destabilization and an ethnic bigot. We have Professor Wolin Shoinka, who in early 2000 had already described Buhari as ethnically divisive. So my follow-up question to Tarila, you being a political scientist is, bearing all these things in mind, why did Governor Autumn think he would campaign for a Buhari presidency and somehow not suffer these consequences? Um, one, one way to look at or to respond to, to that is to say that Nigerian politics is not a politics of values. It's a politics of strange bedfellows, people who have no common values. 
accept the pursuit or interest in acquiring political power. And therefore, they go into ad hoc arrangements that are in the long term against their own existential interests. I think that's what got people like Autumn and other people who are now complaining into this Buhari APC coalition. I do not think that they set out to undermine themselves. But I also, it's also clear that they did not have a long-term view of politics or a long-term view of governance. Therefore, they entered into a coalition without clearly agreeing on how to govern. They entered into a coalition without clearly agreeing on what they will get out of the government when it merge, when, when they form government. In fact, they are lucky that this is not a parliamentary system. They would have, they, 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 uh, they, 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 they would have even, I'm not sure how, they are lucky that the constitution guarantees certain positions, some, some form of federal character in terms of ministers and, and such and such. Otherwise, because they did not have a clear agreement, the, whoever becomes the head of government can function or perform the way based on his own vision. In fact, they do not have a shared vision of Nigeria with, with the, their principle. The idea was to pursue and acquire political power. And having acquired political power, what to do with that power? What to, how to govern? Then you see the unraveling of the coalition that people now, you know, take charge of their small kingdoms. And people like Governor Autumn realize that this coalition in the long term doesn't serve its interests, neither does it serve the interest of its people. I would not blame him. It is a reflection of politics, a reflection of the Nigerian political elites whose actions are not based on values or a vision, a long-term vision for of for the society. Thank you. Thank you, Tarana. Uh, where I would disagree is where you say you wouldn't blame him. I would blame him because the whole point of leadership is that before you aspire for office and lead people down a path, you need to know where you are going. So if he failed to do his due diligence on Buhari or ignored the information, then as a leader, he has to take responsibility. On to the second aspect, which is for Phoenix, Governor Nyesonwike of River State, who is one of the leading PDP governors, issued a statement in response to the attack on Governor Autumn. And Governor Wike said that if they should dare kill Autumn, Nigeria will be divided. He was basically threatening some sort of a civil war slash insurrection if anything happens to autumn. 
in your view, Felix, was that a wise statement for a governor to make? Clearly unwise, but uh, I mean, this is one week we are talking about. So, I mean, he's prone to unguarded statements and truly believes that he's a, he's a warlord of some sorts. And two, it, but two, it's, it's a sign of the times. Um, so I totally agree that it's unwise, but, but what do you do when you are, when you're one in the opposition to, and I'm not trying to justify what he's saying, but I mean, come along with me on this train of thought. Two, you are, you are, you're seeing, you're seeing a, a, a center that is allowing um, um, terrorists from one part of the country run riot with impunity and doesn't seem to be willing to hold them to account, but is willing to hold other people who are not as, as deadly or, or doing the same, they are willing to crack down on them quite heavily. So, I mean, I can understand where Wike is coming from. Of course, you want him to play the statesman and do all of that. But I mean, if this government, I mean, from what we see, the Nigerian state only understands violence. That's, that's what we've seen over time. So if this particular government continues to shield Fulani headsmen and lets them continue to do what they, what they do, surely somebody has to call them to order and to let them know they don't have a monopoly on violence. So to that extent, one can see some reason, some logic to what um, Wike is saying. And maybe his outburst is a function of, look, we've been saying these things in, 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 uh, in what maybe they, they have all their Nigerian governors forum or their NEC meetings and they say all these things and nothing is happening. And he's, he's ready to scatter everything. I alluded to it when I first responded at the beginning <laughs> that maybe that's what's going to lead to a serious cataclysm. That, I mean, when you, when, when one of these governors, I mean, gets it, I mean, with all these attacks that we are seeing, maybe that's what will lead to a serious um, shutdown of the entire country. So, while, of course, it's powerful the cause for, for Wiki and it's not surprising and it's definitely not statement-like behavior, one can understand that under the current um, context and with the way Buhari has handled this matter and continues to do so, one can understand why he would say that and rightfully issue a threat um, to ensure that he protects his fellow, his fellow um, governor uh, who they are in the same camp together. Thank you, Phoenix. We have to move on to our next topic. The only thing I'll just say quickly is obviously my view is I don't support any form of violence. Any governors that want to go and fight should be at the forefront and fight by themselves, but innocent Nigerians should not be led down the path um, or be incited by these uh, governors who, whose only interest is themselves, not the people. Uh, Michael, the uh, if you don't mind, let me also join you to say that I am completely against violence, and I do not think the the Nigerian state only responds to violence. The Nigerian state responds also to an organized group who is able to a, a group that can mobilize resources internally and externally to pressure the government. 
and Governor Autumn and his people uh, know what to do and should do that. Or if they don't know, they should ask people who know. Yes. No, thank you. Thank you, Tyler, for buttressing my point. But on to our second topic, which is former Chief Justice of Nigeria, Justice Onoge, who was speaking last week or, or sometime this week and made reference to his removal from office by Buhari. And he claims that the reason why trumped-up charges were brought against him is because Buhari heard rumors that he met with a former Vice President Atiku Abubakar prior to the 2019 election. So obviously, Buhari was concerned that Justin Onoge would not be, a, be an impartial uh, judge. To Tarila, the question a number of people raised, I've also raised that question is, why is Justin Onogen only speaking now? Why didn't he speak up then? Um, it seems to me that he feels uh, safer now and um, he, feels, he, he, he feels he's out of the, the trenches and he, if he thinks that he can now speak. I don't know the context uh, uh, of his speech, but I'll consider that during when 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 during his removal that he he, he came under the he was under under some pressure from the presidency. However, it's important to also state that uh, uh, Onohe is not the first head of courts. Although he's the head of the uh, head of the, the judiciary, but he's not the first head of court to be removed from office. Justice Salami was removed from office. Uh, he was the president of the Court of Appeal by President Jonathan. As controversial as that, that process was, there, uh, there was a clear process involving the National Judicial Council and other actors in the judicial in the, in the, in the, in the judicial system that recommended to President Jonathan same thing, but this was not the case for Nogan. It was clear from the start that there, there, there were issues. And one of the, the, the challenge, the, one of the, 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 the problem in, in such a system is that it is very easy for the executive or any leader of government to demonstrate that wealth or resources acquired by a public office holder does not reflect their income. How, if this is corruption or not, I, 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 I cannot say. The problem with people, with people in office, such as Onogen, is that when faced with such an allegation, Instead of defending themselves or, or pandering to public sentiments against the government, should be able to speak clearly when undergoing, when they are experiencing, uh, when they are experiencing uh, um, uh, uh, that so-called persecution. But of course, there were sentiments and there were issues of ethnicity against uh, and, and people. There is a popular um, 
opposition to the to the current government. So you can key into those sentiments. But also he has an agency that he needs to express. Unfortunately, he didn't do that. And I'm surprised that uh, several months after he's coming to say that it was because of a meeting, a purported meeting. Um, I, I think there is more to it and I will not completely uh, rule out uh, the issues that, that led to his removal, even though they're, 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 as you know, in Nigeria, they're cool, they're elite settlements and, and things like that. But it needs to be more transparent about, about the issues. Thank you. Thank you, Tarila. The first point you made, as you've rightly said, with regards to Justice Salami, the recommendation was made by the Nigerian Judicial Council and Jonathan was acting within the law by acting on their recommendations. With regards to just Onogen, the reason why it raised eyebrows, if you remember, was because the petition against him was filed on a Friday and by Monday, uh, charges have been brought against him, which is very unusual because even in the Western world, where the justice system is effective, it still takes time, at least sometimes two to three months between the filing of a petition and the drafting of charges. But with Onogren, it literally happened over a weekend, which was the reason why even the US and UK raised, raised their concerns that, look, this is clearly an attempt to prosecute a judge. To Phoenix, the other question which I find well, the other issue which I find baffling is the point of Onogen's speech was he was advising judges to be bold and courageous and to not be afraid of intimidation. But yet, when he faced intimidation by the presidency, he basically ran away. So how, is, is, isn't that a contradiction between the advice he's giving and the steps he took when he was in that position? I mean, you're, you're spot on, Michael. Like, I can't agree more. I mean, when I first heard this, I mean, the story, I mean, his speech and read the con the contents, at first I felt, I felt sad for him because, I mean, we all lived through the episode and he was clearly, um, he was unfairly treated. He, he was, uh, um, so I, that was my first reaction. It was that of, I mean, sadness that somebody's career, you get to the pinnacle and then it's stolen from you. But then again, I was like, to your exact point, my Lord Justice let the whole country down. You cannot come today and tell some other people that they should be bold and courageous when you had the opportunity to do so and you failed to do so. Why are you telling us all these stories now? You are telling us now that you never met Atiku in your life and you let them steal the chief justiceship from you on the basis of the, or if, you, if that's what you are telling us, that was the reason why they took it away from you. And you knew it was a blatant lie and that they didn't investigate this thing. Why didn't you make noise then? And, you know, let us rally to your, to your aid. Why? Why, where, where did this courage disappear to? So for me, I went very quickly from that sadness to, to anger that 
you could have taken the opportunity then. I mean, we were, I mean, let's go back to what was happening in 20, this was 2019 before the elections. They were rushing him out of place because they were preparing to put in place a stooge ahead of the elections. If he had gone to town, I mean, just do a quarter of what Abiola did back then when he declared himself president and, you know, was ready to damn the consequences and ended up being arrested. Just go on every uh, international medium and tell your story and let everyone know that this is not true, that you are pushing back against this, you are fighting this, and you sue the, Fed, the, the executive support and see whether Nigerians rally behind you or not. But you chose not to. You chose not to. You are not prepared to fight. So who are you today to come and now tell people that they should be courageous, they should be bold? They should, I mean, so for me, I mean, it was, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I have, I very quickly moved away from, because I feel there are too many leaders in Nigeria who truly do not understand the meaning of leadership. They, know, they don't understand the meaning of sacrifice. They don't understand the meaning of, you know, putting yourself out there. You've gotten to the pinnacle of your career. It would never, no matter what happened that they removed you, it will always be, you will always be the former Chief Justice on again. So, I mean, what is it that you are protecting? Why couldn't you fight this righteous fight if you believe indeed that it was a righteous fight, that you were well within your rights and you were cheated? Why couldn't you, you know, stake that claim and fight not only for your personal interest, but for the sake of the country. You knew the import of what they were doing. You knew where it would lead. And what even made, makes me even more angry is because of that event, the chain of events that has followed that, because he meekly stepped aside, because he did not try to save the judiciary and by extension the country, the downstream effects are the bastardization of the Nigerian judiciary. Look at the look at the issues that are happening with the people that they, they that is that they are sending to the appeal court that Apata is fighting against. It is as a consequence of that. I mean that that attack on the judiciary. We started with first of all, you saw them going to uh, break into the homes of of of, of justices um, in the middle of the night and charge them. And at the end of the day, we didn't see any anything happen after they were just pure intimidation. Then you saw the chief justice, I mean, removed in a, in, a, in a Gestapo type way. And now you see what is happening. You see not only our uh, judge appointments and justice appointments being wholly or, or majorly from one section of the country or from one religion, we're hearing that grand caddies are being I mean, shoved into mainstream mainstream judiciary. There are people who are being sent to appeal courts who do not understand basic legal tenets. It is because Walter Onoge refused to fight for the Nigerian people, refused to fight for the judiciary. And so I'm not interested in anything that he wants to say. Nothing that he says will take away what he did. In fact, he exacerbates the fact that when he had the opportunity he chose to run, and that's why we are here today. Thank you, Philip. That's how I feel about it. Thank you. You just basically articulated my feelings. I'm sometimes maybe I'm, I'm a bit too harsh, but I get angry with Nigerian leaders, especially people who have been entrusted with power. All you have to do is speak up for justice, but they keep quiet. 
And then when they leave office, they start writing books, telling you tales by moonlight stories of what they could or could have done when in fact they had the opportunity but failed to do so. To Tarila, the broader question is, in this government, we have a renowned professor of constitutional law, uh, with the vice president, Professor Simbajo. We have Babatune Fashola, a well-respected senior advocate of Nigeria. We have Professor Itse Sage, who was also a respected Nigerian professor. They were all in government when Onoge was being harassed. In fact, Osibanjo and uh, Itsesage even issued statements condemning Onoge. So what is really happening with the judiciary? Are we telling me that the place has been so riddled with politics that even professors cannot speak up in the face of injustice? Thank you very much, Michael. Um, again, you we shouldn't, when explaining Nigeria, we should look back, you know, we're coming from somewhere. Uh, the, for the judiciary, uh, what I'll say is that even during the military regime, we had justices who disagreed with regimes that can literally kill them without any, without any uh, consequence. Uh, there was what is now known as judicial activism uh, in the judiciary and justices, um, honorable uh, distinguished uh, members of the bench stood up to challenge the government to give verdicts uh, uh, that, that was not necessarily in the interest of the regime, but of course, the interest of the, to preserve the Nigerian state and to preserve the dignity of the, the institution. But one of the problems we see since 1999 is the distorted recruitment, uh, the, 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 the recruitment of people into the judiciary has been quite problematic. The, with more politicians involved in governance, judicial recruitment is now part of the patronage politics of Nigeria where people are appointed into important judicial positions, especially at the high court level and magistrate level uh, as a way, as means of patronage to political leaders, uh, um, important families or, or, or political families. And in some states, in fact, there's there a state in the, in the Niger Delta where the governors, at least two or three of the governor's wives, uh, like successive gov governor's wife have, have, have been members of the, of the bench. And, and it's, it's very common now. So the problem is that when people are recruited as magistrates or as high court judges, these are the people who go on to become 
appeal court judges and Supreme Court judges. Uh, uh, if they stay long in the in, 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 in profession. So the problem is that our recruitment system in, in, uh, in, 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 in the judiciary is fundamentally broken because of poli patronage politics in Nigeria. Then to the point of uh, the vice president and other other leader legal legal uh, luminaries in government. Again, I go back to the point. Not everybody. The people in government have a divergent vision. Their views of Nigeria, their vision for Nigeria, their value system, are not. They don't have. A, they, it's not shared. It's not common. It's not. It's not a shared. They don't have a shared vision. So. The president and his people, um, their vision for Nigeria is fundamentally different from the, from, from the vision of Professor Sibanjo and his people. So uh, therefore, I mean, you will agree with me that uh, if Osibanjo was the president of Nigeria, even if they will remove another, uh, the, the, the chief judge from office, they wouldn't do it that way. I mean, we, we want to, I, I am very critical of the vice president, but of course you have to give him the benefit, you have to agree with me that he will not govern Nigeria the way Buhari is governing Nigeria. And you have, let's be fair to people, irrespective of our political views. Therefore, I think that why they, they are serving in government, but these things are happening is because yeah, you have multiple visions. There are competing visions within the same government. And of course, the vision shared by the people who are more powerful is the one that will come to pass. So therefore, you see the vision of Buhari, President Buhari and his people coming to pass. So it's not, again, you will say, let's, you, 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 you have to blame them or you, you, you can't, uh, it's also their fault. But this is how you understand our gov the, the, the problem in Nigeria. It's competing visions and visions and values of those who are more powerful are what you will see manifest in the society. So that's, 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 that, that, that's, that's, that's exactly what happened with Noronge. And that is why also, because they have to remain relevant because they have to demonstrate loyalty to the more powerful people you see them fall in line whenever these kind of things happen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Tarila. Once again, I agree with you that people like Professor Sibanjo would not govern the way Buhari is governing if they were president. However, the real reality of the situation is one of the reasons why people like myself are critical of him is because we know that he knows better. It would be one thing if he kept silent, but what he does is oftentimes he goes on TV to justify the, the misgovernance steps that Buhari is taking using flowery, flowery language when he himself knows it's wrong. So yes, I don't expect Governor Osiba, President Osibanjo to, be, to govern like Buhari, but what he's guilty of is the, the failure, the courage to speak up when he knows uh, things are going wrong. But anyway, this takes us to our 
third topic, which has a similar thread. The governor of Ekiti State, Kayode Fayemi, who was one of the strategists behind Buhari's victory in 2015 and campaigned for him in 2019. In fact, he's probably one of Buhari's closest governor advisors, gave an interview with uh, Channels TV a few days ago, in which he basically distanced himself from the Buhari government, claiming that they failed to deliver on the promises they made to Nigerians. To Phoenix, first of all, what is going on? Why is Governor Fahimi suddenly, why has he suddenly realized that Buhari has not delivered on his promises? Well, the, the, the opportunist is trying to, to, to make, uh, to carve a, a path for himself to, to Asura and, and wants to begin to uh, separate himself from, from the failure that is the Buhari administration, of which he was a, a, a key player, not only as part of the campaign, but also he was a, a minister um, from the start until he went back to his states to become governor. So, I mean, obviously his statement was with an eye to the happenings, I mean, uh, that will culminate in a, a new presidency in 2023. Well, he, 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 he must be sorely mistaken if he thinks that there's anything that he can say that would, that would, uh, that would extricate him from, from this mess. He was, I mean, when he, so when he started reeling out areas that they had failed on economy, on, on insecurity and, I mean, it, it was just a joke. It was just a joke because I remember I have said this before, when, when, when Soludo was holding the previous administration to task, and also challenged the APC to say, "Show us your plan," because you can see the state of things. I mean, we are just come. I mean, we were in a state in which the oil price had crashed. It was clear that Nigeria's. Um, Revenue profile had was had taken a hit, and no one knew when there was going to be a recovery. Of course, and as we've seen, there was never a recovery to the heady days of hundred dollar oil. And I mean, um, in, in all of that, they were being asked, "Are you prepared? Are you ready to come?" I mean, it was this fire me that jumped out and said, "They are absolutely prepared. That they know this this the situation, and that they will come in and do." And, and turn things around. So, I mean, on what basis was he making that assertion? What's, what then went wrong? He was not only a campaign member, he was also, he became a minister of, of uh, uh, solid minerals and whatever it was. So he was a member of the Federal Executive Council. He was in the, he was in the inside of the government. So there's, there's, there's no way he can extricate himself and and say that, um, I mean, the Buhari administration has failed. And so to position himself to, to align with whoever he's going to align with as the solution to the failure that he was a key part of. He's a joker, he's an abject class. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there's no reason why he should be anywhere near, anywhere near I mean, leading Nigeria. But again, when you look at the entire landscape, 
they are they are all the same. So yeah, like at the end of the day, Nigeria is going to end up with one of these clowns again taking over. But I mean, if I am his latter day epiphany is uh, is is nothing short of amusing, and uh, I I I just hope that there will be journalists out there as he begins to you know make his speech and this was on channels but you know you know what channels is like maybe along the line as he continues to try to get into that frame of you know talking about the Buhari administration like it's some external party that he doesn't know anything about that people will hold him to task and you know make sure that his his role in this uh, I mean administration of ignominy is is brought to the fore and there's there's no way he can hide from it just 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 ridiculous going a step further this is my question to tarila first of all we've seen justice onogem suddenly develop backbone and start attacking buhari's government now we've got a an a prominent apc governor publicly distancing himself from buhari is there something that we don't know? Why are they suddenly not afraid of Buhari? Because this was the same man a few months ago, they were all terrified to criticize. So what, what is happening that has made them suddenly very courageous? Um, yeah, I, I also, uh, thank you very much. I, I, listened, I listened to that interview and I would not say that Fire Governor Fayemi completely distanced himself from Buhari. Initially, when I read the headlines, I, I thought that's what he did. But when I listened to the interview critically, listening to him, I see from my where I stand, I see that Governor Fayemi is trying to explain away the problems and to set an agenda and to explain. I mean, if you listen carefully you will see that he actually talked about military administration, historical issues, the PDP government, and then before saying that they have not been able to, 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 to address these issues themselves. What you do with that kind of information is that you can now say, for example, if he has, I don't know, if he has presidential ambition or whatever ambition, you can now say, for example, that we admit failure or we admit that we have not been able to do certain things, but we understand things better and we will do it better. That's what any smart person will do. And as you know, Governor Fayemi is an intellectual. He has a PhD from King's. He's, he knows what to say and how to go about communication. So what he's doing is not necessarily distancing himself from Buhari, but setting an agenda for future communication. That is how I look at it. However, his strategy, again, is a repetition of, you, you don't teach an old dog uh, new tricks. It's a repetition of what, he, what they did with the 2015 agenda. I mean, to be fair, again, in politics, people have to take sides. And the side you take 
reflect your values. I, I am in, uh, as a political scientist, but also as someone who is political, my politics is a reflection of my values. And my values are linked directly to the survival of, the, to the dignity of people or of the society I belong to. And in this case, when we talk about Nigeria, that I believe that politics should enhance the dignity of people in Nigeria, majority of people in Nigeria. But what they did in 2015, I do, in fact, at the fundamental level, at the core, uh, uh, as, as an individual, I do not think Buhari and Faimi has the same values. No, they do not have the same values. They have not, they do not have the same cultural values, religious values, uh, value, uh, individual values as a, a human, uh, a, a common vision of society. No, what they had in common was a shared idea of power. And people like Fayemi ignored their values. Um, Politics is not necessarily a test of character, but it should be a test of values. Uh, and therefore, I cannot judge his character. I would, I would say that he was seeking power. So trying to distance himself from Buhari now is the same way they tried to, or trying to distance himself from some of these issues now, or try to reframe the story, is the same. It's 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 they have done this before. They sold an idea, communicated it to the international community, communicated used social media branding, and campaigned in ways that ignores fundamental flaws in the person of their principle as he calls it. What I will say also for someone like Faemi is that he, he, he doesn't take into account some of the structural issues of Nigeria in the sense that some people in Nigeria, several, a, a, a significant number of people in Nigeria, especially the powerful institutions, powerful actors, have an idea of where a Nigerian president should come from. People think that a Nigerian president should come from a group, either a state or a region that is significant enough to moderate the competing interest in Nigeria. I don't think a Kitty state is among those states it's like Bayelsa, where I come from. The exception of Jonathan is an accident of history. Jonathan is an accident of history. Is Fayemi trying to become a vice president? Is he trying to become a, a candidate himself? So those are the issues. And it seems to me that power kind of blinds people to some of these fundamental issues. And someone like Fayemi, I would assume, will be among those who will because even though he's a Yoruba from the Southwest, he's from Ekiti State. And in the, if you look at the political geography of the Southwest, Ekiti State is not among 
the states that determine, that, that determine the outcome of federal elections in the Southwest. So I would think that people like Kwame will fight, instead of focusing on, the, on, will fight for the structural transformation and reform of Nigeria, which is what it was known for before, before politics. But Fayemi belongs, he should use this intellectual energy and political capital to fight for structural reforms, for constitutional reforms, or create the conditions that will make constitutional reforms inevitable. Therefore, creating the foundation for people from his background, from his geographical background or geopolitical background to aspire to be president without aligning with people who have contrary values. What he's doing now does not serve his long-term interests or the interests of his people or the interests of Nigeria. He has the intellectual and political capital to fight for structural reforms that will create the conditions for change that allows people from his background, people from that that has his uh, that have his uh, that his values, to aspire for political power without sharing a bet or aligning with people whose values contradict their own. That that that's 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 my message or that's that's my view. Thank you. Thank you, Tarila. Where I would perhaps slightly disagree, maybe that's a, that's a more of a politically or political or philosophical debate. But my view is that a lot of the people in APC share the same values because to campaign for a candidate twice, in spite of all the evidence, to me is a reflection of a certain type of uh, character, maybe a character of somebody who is duplicitous or who is driven by power alone. And I think that in itself is a value. So I, I would disagree if, if you say he and Buhari don't share the same values. I think I think they do. Uh, with regards to his electoral aspirations uh, from sources, I know that he clearly is interested in, in the presidency or the vice presidency at, 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 the, at the minimum. But uh, our time is up, so. Firstly, I must thank our listeners who are always loyal and giving us helpful feedback. And then I thank you, Tarila, our guest, for taking time out to be here. Uh, thank you, Phoenix, for co-hosting with me. Uh, to my listeners, today I'm, I'm quite ill today. I had the first dose of the AstraZeneca vaccine yesterday. So that's why I'm a bit tired because I'm feeling the side effects. But I would encourage all our listeners to please ignore the WhatsApp conspiracy theories. And if you're given the vaccine, then please do so to protect yourselves and protect your family members. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Michael, and uh, wishing you strength <laughs> because you still need to take a second dose, right? Um, and thanks, Tarila, for, for joining us. And thanks, listeners, uh, for being a, a part uh, and continuing to support us and, and listen to us. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as is always the case every week, yesterday marked uh, five months since uh, the Lekki massacre. Um, I mean, it, it, it just can't be, be forgotten and swept under the, under the carpet. So yeah, we will continue to put it out there every week and talk about it until 
we see tr true change in this country. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.